Hey, everybody. Welcome to the More Than Words podcast. I am Liz. And I'm Shara, and we are your hosts today. So listen, if you're new to this space, then this is the first time you hear your voice, you have something in store for you. For those of you just joining us, coming back again, thank you. We miss you because by the time you hear this, Liz and I had a mini break because we were tired. Well, yeah, I mean, you you got a lot going on. Okay, I got a lot going on. Everybody got a lot going on. But I never, the thing is, though, I never feel like I have a lot going on because, um, and and this is your, your, I know you're going to tell me, I'm proud of you, Liz. I could hear it already because I said it to myself multiple times. The one thing that I really wanted to get from our move to the UK was, aside from autonomy, was time, quality time. And I didn't want my, I didn't want to get to the weekends and feel like I was um, recovering from my week. And I can tell you now, eight months in, I keep telling people that it's six months, but it's eight months now, eight months in, and I have found a way. So my weekends are my weekends to experience new things, to spend time with my family, um, to go places, to try new things. Uh, we're going to do camping one day. And I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to be doing that too. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, like it feels really, really good. It, there's a little guilt and don't coach me. There's a little guilt as well too, right? Because you're like, how you're like, don't coach me. There's a little guilt because it's like, wow, like I wish everybody had this because it feels good. Like it feels good y'all to like your weekends are your weekends and they're not meant for recovery. Okay. This isn't like a muscle that you're reco- yeah. you gotta get recovery drinks from. I don't know. <laughs> So first of all, um, please make sure when you go camping that the hubby does the fire because I was concerned when I was visiting and you were doing the fire in the house for <laughs> for, the, for the fireplace. So we need all our forestry, like our earth is fighting for its life. So please, uh, responsible person for that. Duty. That's a good point. I'm going to put a fire extinguisher on my list. Because Please. knowing me, I'd be like, fire down. Because you have to try. You have to try it. You know what I mean? Like in your spirit, you're like, I just feel like I can do it. And then I'm not saying you didn't, but it was definitely like, you know, a little nervous. Second of all, I'm I'm with you. Like, wait a minute. When the weekend shouldn't be like, oh, I am so exhausted. I'm just getting ready to be exhausted for the next week. Like, it's supposed to be fun. And I mentioned this earlier in the year. This year was supposed to be focused on fun. And and the reason we have to do stuff and set intentions like that is because it has gotten so methodical about work, recovery, work, figure it out through the week, make something happen, recover, do it again. Like the joy and the natural curiosity of how we spend time outside of work has just been so compounded into the space of like, Hurry up, gotta get hurry up, you know, kind of thing. So I'm with you. Listen, I wanna um jump gears because I know we have a guest. I don't know if we told them, but we should tell say it out loud. But we have an amazing guest today. Super happy for this conversation. But I have to share with you is an auntie moment. And wait, before I auntie moment you, I would say I was not gonna coach you because you know how I feel. You know the disclaimer I always say, I'm like, <laughs> do you want me to be your friend or do you want me to ask some critical empowering questions and you will always be like it's okay to coach me or no 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 no. the thing is it always comes out you know this no that's you Liz you start coaching Liz will be friending you for the first Three and a half minutes. And then she would then ask you one of them questions where you as a coach immediately know that they done turned on the tool, the skill. And I'd be like, so I, I really wasn't trying to do this. But then how can you leave a question there that makes sense? It's just, it's I, it's coaching trapping. It's trapping. Okay. But <laughs> look, I don't want it. I want to be, I want a disclaimer, like a scare, like a movie 
They you know what? Like, That's a good point because I do that to Benjamin. I because I'm you know it's all about independence, and I do it to Benjamin when he comes up to me with something, and he goes, uh, "I said, do you want my help, or do you want me to just listen?" Nine out of ten, he picks just listen. I'm offended though that he don't want my help, but most of the time my help involves hoop earrings, but that's okay. Listen, he Anyways. don't want your help because it means he gotta do something. So I'm with you. Let give me the disclaimer. I'm I want that. Okay. And coaches out there, love you to pieces. We have a great skill that's useful in day to day. But please, for your coaches, your friend coaches, okay. So it was it's gonna look like this then. Shara, do you want my coach hoops? Or my regular hoops. Yeah. Yes, because then I can opt out of both or select one. Because opt out of both be like, no, I'm here for shenanigans. Take the hoops off. This is where we at. You know, so sorry. For those who don't know the cultural reference, I can't tell you. We don't have enough time. We can't help you. Yeah, you know, you just got to know. But um, so auntie moment. So listen, I've been out and about in the world. And one thing that is always a joy as an adult who don't are not surrounded by kids is when I get to hang out with my really good friend, um, I'm gonna call her, you know, never dim your light. Cause she's the one who's championing that conversation with me constantly throughout this journey. But um, her and her boys uh, usually invite me out, right? I get a call from one of the, from one of the oldest and they're like, can you come out Michelle to do something? Right. And who, you know, when you hear that voice, you just be like, I don't know, but I'm going to make this happen. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so I got invited to go hang out with them at like an outdoor concert. And I, I, when I got there, it's like kids barefoot, just running around in fake grass. The music is literally some really good reggae where I was like, I still got these moves, but you know, it's kid friendly. Um, but what I love, we literally, the kids were running around and playing and they had toys and all types of stuff. And I was just sitting there or, or in most cases running around chasing them. And in that moment, I, a couple of things. One, I had such appreciation about being in my body, right? Like there's been a lot of times in my life where my body hasn't been able to do what my mind wants to do because of different reasons, like, you know, weight wise, or just in general, disempowering beliefs, right? Like you get a certain age, you shouldn't be acting like that, you know, like respectability kind of politics type of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, I've been pushing all of that aside, being more authentic, showing up the way I want to show up, regardless of, you know, these beliefs. Um, And I played with the kids. We had so much fun. But what I noticed is their curiosity is endless. And what I remember was, you know, for every pile of toys or different types of toys, and I'm like trying to clean it up. And they're like, why are you cleaning that? Like, we're not done yet. And that is where I left it. Like, I've been trying to really embody that thought. You're not done yet. Why are you trying to fix it up and make it pretty? Like, just be in the moment. Enjoy it in its entirety and be as curious and and as like open and to fun, not caring what anybody else thinks, and you can tidy it all up later, right? And I've been really embodying that. I've been going to different events. I'm like, listen, I got three things to do in the day. I'm not going to try to figure out how to change clothes and do these things or try to make it all work. I'm just showing up as me. I am being, and and I'm not tidying up until the end of the day, meaning like I'm not sitting here trying to overthink it, put it in the box that I need to do to make sure I follow up and do all this. I'm just living in the moment. And I had, first of all, super exhausted after that, but my mind just was different. And I showed up differently all week with that mindset. And so shout out to the kids, man. Shout out to kids and their ability, not only to tire you out, but to make you constantly think about, where did you get these rules of why you what you can and cannot do and cut it out? You're missing life, hon. Missing <laughs> it. I am all about healing our inner child. All about it. That because that's what it is. It's like when when did this become so heavy? Like what what did we do to stack up all of this? 
And it's a different kind of exhaustion with the kids, right? Because like, yeah, you are like physically tired, but your soul and your heart is so fulfilled and so full of it. Like when I take all my gremlins, because I have like six or eight gremlins, I used to have eight on my family side, but they all grew up like they're big gremlins now. Um, This is a different kind of hangout with them. It's like grown up hanging out now. Now here in the UK, I have my six little gremlins and I I just like I love it and it's so chaotic and I make my husband like be part of this like gremlin chaos thing he's like what makes you think you can have all six kids in your tiny little house I'm like because you can because there's blow-up mattresses period okay and there's popcorn night there's movie nights there's like sleepovers there's pancakes in the morning like and there's endless play time you want to bring the sand out bring the sand out. You want to bring the slime out? Bring the slime out. Bring it. Give me the Play-Doh. You want to win yes. Monopoly every single time? Yes. Win it. Yeah. You're cheating, but you win it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. I think, you know, once again, is at, we spend so much time and I kept, I mean, the word kept coming up to me like in professionalism, like in it. And you can, it's one of those things, like, I think it's that, you know, you take it on from corporate and you're always trying to figure out how you're showing up. It's always about image and exposure and blah, blah, blah. Like going through all that. And you get so used to that where you're like, oh, I can only turn this part on when I'm in this environment. Mm -hmm. No, no. Those days Mm -hmm. are long gone, right? Like those days of waiting for it or, you know, putting it in that showing up in a specific way is done. But I, I don't want to, I know we have our guests, but I just wanted to just, for those of you listening out there, for all the TTs, all the unks, uh, all the parents, friends, um, young professionals. And parents, like, and parents. And our parents. Like, okay, and parents. Parents, go, go parents are the most, parents are the biggest kids. I Well, mama, I will be in trouble. Like, I'll come <laughs> home. Uh, but listen, parents are the biggest kids. I'm not talking about you, mama, but you know, all the other mamas, maybe you. Mama D definitely a big old kid. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what she was doing? She was skateboarding the other day. I was like, okay, queen, that's fine. Okay. okay. Anyway, she's like a super cute. She is fly with her little life. Anyways, we need to get into our guests. This is what we need to do a solo uh, episode for a little bit, but we have an amazing guest, and I want to make sure that we um get to our guest. So our guests, we always start off with um how we got to know this person. So we had a previous guest, Rachel Kay, who introduced us to Dr. Terry Malcolm. And she said, Liz, Shara, you have to meet this person. She's incredible. Now we were at the CDI symposium and she's like, you, she came to find us. She's like, you have to meet Dr. Terry. You have to meet Dr. Terry. And I think I had met Dr. Terry already at the event. Like we just kind of casually talked and I was already just so blown away. And then Rachel brought her over. She's like, Dr. Terry doing some amazing things um, on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the healthcare. Like she's incredibly intelligent. She's she's amazing. She's a powerhouse. She's just, and she is like those 10 minutes that we got to talk to her at CDI Symposium, like they were so amazing, so incredible. And um, we're just, I'm just so honored that she gets to be on our podcast and that she gets to share her story with us and with our listeners. So I want to bring in Dr. Terry Malcolm to our show. Dr. Terry. Well, thank you for the introduction. And I love listening to your auntie moments and uh, yeah, major shout out to Rachel. Rachel is, is, is my ace, my partner. She's my girl and the best unpaid PR person that I know. She is, she's absolutely, she could at any time she can uh, take ownership of my public relations because she's just, she's amazing. So I'm so glad that she is the great connector that she is and brought us together. Yeah. Yeah. And she definitely is an amazing PR person. She's always like, how can I help you? Who can I introduce you to? Oh, let me connect you with so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. She's just so incredible. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Terry, for coming onto our show and, you know, sharing your story with us. Well, Dr. Terry, I know you've done listened to our episodes before. And so if 
So you know how we start this thing. We're going to ask you two questions about the diversity will because we want to know. Now, see, we already told them that you're a doctor, so they don't got that part. But what are the dimensions? What are the dimensions since you've seen a diversity will that you feel are really important and shows up and embodies how you're experiencing life in this moment? Yeah, I I think you know I love first of all I loved the diversity wheel and loved getting a chance to reflect again on those aspects of myself that I feel are so vitally important and that are just always top of mind for me. And when I, um, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to start at the bottom and work my way up to the top. So I'm going a little, I'm going kind of backwards here, but when I think about my, my early years and how much time was spent becoming a doctor and that that was very much my identity. It very much was who I was. That was how I, I, I felt like that kind of embodied all of who I was essentially and didn't really give me space to be other parts of myself, to allow those other parts of myself to really flourish because I spent so much time dedicating myself to the training, the education, the schooling, all of that. And now that I'm actually a retired physician, which is I'm, I'm, I'm even, that's a new identity that I'm having to adopt now that, because I don't practice clinical medicine anymore, but being a doctor is still an important part of me. But in terms of all of those identities, it was actually number four, like professionalism work. It was actually number four. And so what is most important to me is my gender. And I identify as a cisgender woman and my race and i am a black african american woman like the and those those are hand in hand those are equal those are 50-50 there is no um one's more important than the other those are so tightly interconnected i don't even know how to separate the two when i really think about it but that that is at the core of really who i am and so to not fully recognize that, acknowledge that, embrace that, for that to not be validated and affirmed does not affirm me as an individual and as a person. And so those were the two, those were really the two most important identities that immediately jumped out to me. And, and I think like, like the two of you, as you just even at, during your auntie moments, talking about the play, which I love talk hearing about play, and while you didn't say it directly, so many of your identities were coming forward. And so, of course, we all wear a lot of different hats. I'm also a mother. I am, you know, the very, very proud mother of three charming, athletic teenage boys. So for my husband and I, um, the household, the Malcolm household is very real. We have real Costco bills. We have real laundry. We have real noise in the house and we have real love and chaos that I couldn't imagine my life being any different. I'm, um, I'm a wife, as I said earlier, my husband and I will be celebrating 21 years of marriage in, in December. So that's another big part of who I am. And I'm a daughter. I'm a very, very proud daughter of two amazing individuals who will be celebrating 51 years of marriage this month. And they are my role models of black love and black leadership. So there is, there are so many different hats and so many different identities that we have. And it's just at different times, they come, they surface up at different times. They really have to stand up and they are, you know, cause when I'm at home, I'm going to be mom. I got to be mom. I got to be wife. I have to be daughter. And when I go into the workplace, you know, I I'm a vice president. I'm a vice president of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging for, for Dartmouth health. And when I'm in zoom rooms, I'm an executive coach. I'm a physician, executive coach. I'm a certified diversity coach. So I have all of these different hats, all of these different identities, but if it is not understood or recognized or affirmed that I am a black female, then it's really hard for us to continue on. Well, first um, of all, let me just say, let me just say, Liz, I know it's coming, but listen, it's okay to be like, I'm 50% black, 50% woman, okay? Because I think people have gotten a little bit 
concerned about just saying, look, those is, that's what I think. That's all I, this is who I am every day, right? These are the things that I leave with. And people have been trying to pull so many different things to kind of be like, well, you know, I need to show up in, in, in more variety. Like, no, that's enough. You know what I mean? And the power of that, I love it. Liz, you about to say something. Go ahead. Go ahead, girl. I, I, Oh gosh, like I wanted to cry as you were talking about your identities, like how powerful you speak on your identities. And I love that. Yes, like I am a black woman. That is my identity. And that's so powerful because I'll be honest with you, Dr. Terry, like for me, like being a Latina woman is something so important. Like those are one of my like top identities and they are 50-50, like 50-50. That's exactly it. And there are times where I'm like, is it too much? Like, is it too much? And then I start thinking, no, 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 it is not too much because I spent years assimilating to my environments and suppressing the woman and suppressing the Latina as part of that. And there is complexities. There's different things that, you know, as a, as a, as a woman of color, that even raising children and for you raising boys as well too. Like there's just these different things that like these armors that we have to put on ourselves. And it's like that we're carrying some, some things are our choice. Some things are not right. And it's like, these are things that are make us who we are and how we show up in the space and in the world. And, you know, like, and also decide like what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind in this sense? So Thank you. Thank you for sharing those identities with us. Cause I don't think, I think you've been the first one to have said like, I'm 50, 50 and this, these are my top two identities and nothing can move forward unless you, we recognize and acknowledge that these are my identities. I love it. Thank you so much. So, so speaking of that, like, you know, and there's a, there is so many hats that you have, what are some of the kind of stereotypes or different or how, how has it impacted you and how you show up in, in, in out at home or in the workplace or in all spaces? Gosh, what a great question. I, you know, I, I think the, the automatic thing that comes to mind is playing into the trope, the trope of the angry black female. And that was an emotion that was very, very difficult for me to embrace. And it was actually an emotion that I suppressed. And so anger, uh, you know, fury, rage, those are all natural human emotions and we experience them. And I felt I couldn't express them. I felt I had to suppress them because it was not... It was not becoming of being a woman, right? So some, it's just so again, that intersection, intersectionality of my gender and my race. So it's not becoming of a woman to really express anger um, because all of the labels that come with a woman expressing angry and anger or rage. And then especially as a black woman to express that then, you know, you're difficult, you're hard to work with, you're aggressive. Um, and just playing into all of these, all of these negative stereotypes, just uh, unleashing all of this bias and really um, playing into playing into the tropes. So my response to that was to suppress it. It was just to go quiet. It was go quiet. It was go mute. And just to withdraw, to also withdraw and to um, put up a shield of armor and just say, everything's okay. No, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. But never really giving myself a chance to deal with it. There's some times where it's not the appropriate moment to actually express the, um, the intensity maybe of your anger or your rage. It's not wrong that you're experiencing it, but maybe the intensity of what you're experiencing, maybe now is not the right moment, but you can give yourself the opportunity to express it at a different time and really unleash it and let it out. So it doesn't remain in your body and you can actually tell your body, okay, I'm going to let this go. I didn't do that because to me, it was 
and it was, it was really, it was a negative emotion. It was something I I'm, I'm not supposed to experience it. So I'm just, I'm going to try to cover it up and bury it down as much as I could. And now I've, I've really come to say, you know what? It's a normal, natural human emotion. So what is a productive way for me to express it? not for me to try to suppress it. So now let me really get in touch with, okay, you're you're feeling angry right now. You're really enraged right now. What is a positive way for you to express and get that out of your system? And one of the ways I really get it out is I get it out on my Peloton. So I get it out through, I get it out through exercise and it's, you know, it's me and it's, you know, and it's the coaches and I swear the coaches are, they're only talking to me. I know that there might be thousands of other people writing on that class, but I'm telling you the coach is talking to me, only to me. And the coach is helping me release all of that rage and all that fury. And for me, that's productive. That's a productive way to really get it out, to release it, to like clear the cash, clear the cash, clear the clouds in my head and now I can refocus and now I can actually really express it to if there's person that I'm angry with, or if there's a, a matter that I'm angry about, now I can really express it in a way that will allow us to move forward because that's what, that's what anger is about. Anger is about knowing you want change and you can't create the change. And so you feel stuck. And that's what a positive expression allows me to do is it allows me to actually move forward. And so I can get out all that like real, you know, intense negativity, get it out on that Peloton. That's what does it for me. Now, you know, we are, uh, Sharon and I are both uh, Peloton lovers over here. She still hasn't gotten a Peloton, but mm -hmm. we're going to get there. She has a user ID, but yes, we're going to get okay. there. So a hundred okay, baby steps, baby, baby steps. steps, baby steps. We got there. No, I agree with you on that. And I, I think what I love about what you said, Dr. Terry is also giving what I hear is giving yourself permission to pause, giving yourself permission to process your feelings so that when you come back and you, when you're validating your, your feelings and your emotions, and also to like, you you're vocalizing what you want and what you need. And, and I think that's, that's so important because oftentimes we're, we're taught to, even if it's like we see the emotions as positive and negative, and I hate that term. I have like a, a physical reaction when people are like, well, that's a good feeling. And that's a bad feeling. No, you all your feelings serve you in some kind of way. It was just about a matter of like, how, how do they serve you and how do you want them to serve you? Um, because if you're sad and angry, it's like, well, what need isn't being met that and and how do you vocalize that? Who is your community that you're vocalizing to? Was that how was that in, uncomfortable to kind of learn to like change that behavior up to acknowledge your anger? It's, it was extremely uncomfortable. You know, I as I said, I mean, it was it was a lot of unwiring because there had been decades of hardwiring that anger was a, an emotion that I was not supposed to experience that I, and I most certainly, I'll say more so it was that I was not supposed to express it because to express it was going to turn people away from me. It was going to make them fearful of me. It was going to make them not want to work with me. It was going to label me. It was going to prevent promotion. It was going to prevent matriculation through my, my training. I mean, it was just, it was going to be a heavy weight. It was going to be a baggage. So it was, it was a luxury I could not afford. I did not have the privilege to express my anger because the cost could be detrimental. It could be far too detrimental. It could be catastrophic. You're, you're not going to move on in, in this year. You need to repeat what, whatever you're going to be cast aside, you're going to be labeled. And, you know, when you, um, when you're labeled, especially if you get a negative label, it can be almost impossible to shake it. It's, it, 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 it carries, it, it follows you. 
It goes everywhere with you. It's not until you maybe move to a completely new department or a new section where nobody knows you and you can start fresh that you can drop that label. Sometimes you have to move to a completely different organization. If it's a negative one, now if it's a positive one, great. Everybody knows you as whatever that label is. But if it's a negative one, it really can be detrimental. And so I felt like I can't afford it. I can't afford it. So I have to suppress this and hold this down. And it was really uncomfortable to be able to step in and to actually just really say the words, you know what? I'm really upset. Like, I mean, that sounds like the easiest thing to say now after really working through that, but I, I found it was difficult to say I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm really, really frustrated right now. I'm extremely irritable or what was just said to me has really triggered me and it's really going to set me off. So I need to remove myself from the situation so that I can have a little bit of time to process how I want to respond. I'm I'm not somebody who's always like quick with the comeback, like in the moment. I, I wish I was, but I just, I just don't have that great, you know, I, I'm one of those people who comes, who has the comeback um, 12 hours later. Okay. The moment is lost. Like I can't call you later and be like, you know what I should have said? I should have said, no, the moment is lost. So but I need, I needed to give myself that space to say, you know what? I'm withdrawing because I know I'm upset right now. And I need to let my body process this because this is what's healthy for me. This is what's right for me. And it's okay that I'm angry. And it's okay that I'm really upset right now. And the best thing for me to do is just, as you said, Liz, take pause and withdraw myself. It, but it wasn't running away. It was, it was an intentional way for me to actually move through that emotion. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you're, you, you have shared so vulnerably around this because I know there's listeners who don't share an experience like this, who was like, well, why don't you lean in or why don't you speak up or why don't you just, you know, you know, all those things start to come up to solve. But the biggest question is what is that environment that is creating such that these, this is the response in which you have to have. And I think we don't spend enough time on that with by saying we talk about inclusive environments, we talk about corporate environments, we talk about workplace environments, but ideally this is a true experience where people are like, I have to assess my risk and if this place is safe and if I am valued as a person and not by, you know, whatever box that they've labeled me already in and also I don't, you know, from a stereotype, specifically the, the ones here in America around Black people, it's so many things to navigate all the time that will put you at risk well before you even step into the workplace. And that's why when I'm talking to clients, I tell people all the time, I say, listen, you don't, you don't understand when you keep asking people to come back into work, the experiences you're asking them to sign back up for microaggressions, to, to not be 100% authentic in the spaces in which they've been able to be more themselves than ever, or being forced to go and conform, not just into like attire, but in the systems that make that in-person space in the past work that no longer serves anyone who values the autonomy, the freedom um, of being having flexibility and specifically virtual experiences where you don't have, you can have the relief and the true space to be yourself and produce what you know you can produce because that's the other piece, right? While you're navigating all of this, right? You still have to be the highest performing. You still have to be um, showing who you are because you know you have the capability because you're in that space. So yeah, Liz, I see your face. I can't help it. What are you about to say? I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of that. All of that, Dr. Terry. I mean, it's 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 exhausting, you know. It, it's exhausting. That's why there's such a rise in in mental health among people of color, um, especially Black women and Latina women. It's like we're already starting. I don't know how many steps, you know, holding more bricks than you than you're holding here, 
you know, we have all these different dimensions as well, too. So I am curious about your work in um, in the medical field. And I, I want to ask you, this is going to be one of Rachel's submitted questions. So I'm kind of going out of order here because I, I was curious about this. Um, you're a certified CDI coach, similar to us. Go CDI! What um, what is it that drove you to be a physician's coach? I I really, I did it in response to the challenges that I experienced and because I wanted to be in service to my colleagues. So I was introduced to coaching um, when I was part of a leadership program. It was a leadership program for physicians and uh, we were a group of uh, about 40, 45 physicians, and they broke us up into smaller groups. So a large cohort, about 45, broke us up into smaller groups of maybe six to eight. And each group was assigned to coaches. And I, other than sports, had never had any interaction with a coach before. And we, the coaching was group coaching. So we didn't receive one, but one-to-one individual coaching, but even that group coaching format was so enlightening for me. The, the questions, the, you know, even as you were talking earlier, do you want me to ask you critical, powerful questions, or do you want me to just be your friend and just talk to you like a friend? I had never been asked those kinds of really insightful, reflective, empowering questions. And let me add this without judgment. And that's what is so critical to the coaching dynamic, the coaching relationship. There's no judgment there. And there's truly the belief that your client is complete and resourceful and whole. And you're helping them to discover those parts of themselves that maybe they buried, they just didn't know were there. We're bringing all of what's in that subconscious up to the consciousness. And so that they have that conscious level of awareness. And that was, to- that was totally enlightening for me. That was like, blow the roof off this place. I had never had anything like that. And so I decided to, at the completion of this leadership program, then hire my own coach. So then I searched for an executive coach and I was trying to find an executive coach um, one, because so many of the leaders that I admired had all talked about what coaching meant to them. And, and so I thought, okay, coaching clearly has strong benefits. I've had a chance to sample it a little bit. I now want an entree. So I was looking for a physician coach. I couldn't find one. And I was looking for a female physician coach. I couldn't find one. And I most certainly could not find a coach Um, a female physician coach of color. And so I, I did, I hired a coach. We're still very um, good friends to this day and, um, you know, really love and care, care him, care for him deeply, deeply. But working with him really helped me to rediscover more parts about myself and really begin to lead from a place of strength and empowerment. And as since I understood the difference that coaching made for me, I really believed that it was a service that I could offer to others. And so that's what really, that's really what made me pursue coaching and wanting to be a coach and then really wanting to coach female physicians, physicians who are in leadership positions, who are looking to advance into higher level leadership positions, and most certainly for women of color because I was very um, often one of the rare female physicians in the corporate boardrooms. And I was definitely the only black female Mm -hmm. in that boardroom. And so I just, I just know I'm not the smartest. I am most certainly not smartest. There are so many others who have such just extremely bright lights and they just need the opportunity and the access. And so if I can provide any means, any avenue for that light to shine brighter, for more people to be able to see that, then I wanted to be able to do that. 
And I imagine that's such a powerful place to be in because it's like you're helping people that, and I'm making an assumption here, just based on my, my, I have my niece who's a, who's a doctor. She's a perfectionist. She, she knows that she's the only woman in her field. She wants to um, do, I, I have no understanding of the medical field and, but I know that the field that she wants to go and specialize in is all male dominated. She's the only one. She's a very petite girl. And she's like, I can't fail. I can't make a mistake. And I don't have anybody else to talk to because if I talk to anybody else, it's going to be perceived as weak. Mm-hmm. And so that whole like no judgment zone is such a critical, critical component of it and so needed as well. And along with that, it is so reassuring. It's so validating for the client to see representation of themselves. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that when, because a lot of my coaching is through organizations. And so the organization is helping to connect me with their, um, with their female physicians or, and and I do coach male physicians as well to non-binary. So it's not limited, just female, but you know, we all, we all have a niche, right? We all, we all have a, um, have, have a unique group of individuals that we do work with. But a lot of when I'm, when I connect with a potential client for the very first time and she sees who I am, I can tell me, tell you how many times I've heard, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you're a black female. I, I didn't know what to expect. It, it's no different than the responses that I receive when I would walk into an exam room and a patient might see me for the first time. And especially a patient of color would say, you're my doctor. And I say, yes, I'm, I'm your doctor. Cause I never wore a white coat. White coats don't stay white just for, for anybody who's <laughs> not a physician on the white, white coat is, is, is not the correct term. It's like dirty white coat. So I never wore a white coat. So you really would never know that I was your doctor until I introduced myself. And, but that look of just of sometimes it was, you get the full range surprise and then um, joy, pride, uh, relief, reassurance, all of that. You'd get that whole myriad of emotional responses in just a quick split second like that. And that I always loved that response because I just knew that certain barriers had already been broken down and it it was a sense of relief and calmness for the patient. And that's what I hear from my clients as well too. And that's what I want to provide with, because exactly to your point about your niece saying, I can't mess up. I can't fail. I can't, I can't afford to do insert whatever the mistake is in the coaching relationship you can, you could just be yourself. Yeah. I will say that, you know, the, all those responses that you've shared, it corresponds with so many of the experiences I have and why representation matters and options within networks and outside of networks um, really matter because specifically in healthcare, because it's hard to explain, right? Your history, the the thing ask for the and, and share a lot of vulnerability when you know people are not spending time or not on the other end to understand your experience because there's so much nuance right to to the conversations that I can have with a black physician versus someone of difference who may not understand hey this is the experience this is what you know the the history that I have, or this is what I need, right? Because at, at, in every stage of life, there's another level of vulnerability, specifically in your health and specifically when you're trying to think through, you know, longevity and living well. And what does that mean? You know, mind, body and everything else, right? Um, but I do know that Liz has um, has a hard stop today. And I want to just offer for the listeners that we're going to have a personal conversation with Dr. Terry and I just to talk about some specific things we talked about on the episode in the past 
about um, some experiences that I've already shared with our listeners. So uh, I know Liz has one more question that she wants to ask you before we switch to that more personal conversation, but Liz. So one of the things that I'm always curious about, especially I'm very passionate about changing um, organizations perspective on the education requirements. Now I get it as a doctor, like I don't want somebody doing surgery on me that doesn't have the education <laughs> associated to it. Accounting. Okay. Like I could put you through a boot camp. I don't want my doctor to go through that kind of boot camp. Really, really. But I'm very curious to know about what you think about the educational requirements to practice medicine and how how equitable is it really? Really tough question. And it also may not be the most popular answer. <laughs> so I, I do believe in the requirements that are necessary. Um, the human body is extremely complex and the, and not just learning the science of the human body. And it's also learning how to apply that to the unique individual. And that really does take years of training. Um, you know, I, I, I finished medical school in 2001 and my, when I finished all of my, um, residency training, it was, it was just on the cusp in which some changes were being made to the work hour requirements for residents and the work hour, they were actually really just starting to put work hour requirements and restrictions into place. I trained during a time when you could work for 36, 48 hours, 72 hours straight, and nobody would, you know, ask you about, are you feeling okay? Do you need a nap? Do you need to regroup? And you would, and I would hear that even from my attendings that they would say the same thing. And it was kind of, it was really kind of like a badge of honor to say, I've been up for 36 hours straight, or I, you know, I haven't slept at all. I haven't, I can't remember the last time I took a shower. I mean, and it, it's crazy how we would talk like that, but you would hear that and you would hear that from your attendings and how they would talk about these working, just ridiculous, kind of almost inhumane shifts. Um, and so, and, and unfortunately there were some, you know, really un, um, unfortunate deaths that resulted from people being so exhausted and leaving work and trying to drive home. So I, I do believe, yes, we do need to have some parameters. We do need to have some restrictions. So I don't want to say that, yes, you should just have to work endlessly. My point is though, that learning about the body and really learning about science and learning about your specific subspecialty and becoming a subject matter expert, that takes time. That doesn't happen overnight. And so I do believe that it is necessary to really have that kind of educational rigor around your clinical training and your exposure, and then being able to apply it to the unique individual that is before you. So customizing all of that experience and all of that knowledge that you have to meet the healthcare needs of the person and the healthcare goals of the person that's in front of you. I, I agree completely on that. I mean, like I said, like I wouldn't want my doctor not to have that knowledge and expertise. I'm usually one of the ones that are like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know, kind of thing. What what are the just my last question and then we'll 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 leave it to you guys to to have your your one-on-one -on -one conversation if that's okay with you, Dr. Terry. Um, what are the resources that are out there for especially people of color that want to get into the medical field, but may not seem feel like it's attainable from especially from like an income perspective or just even basic like knowledge on how to apply for medicals what are my requirements for doing this what is it going to really take because I think when we're all in kindergarten we're like I want to be a doctor we don't really realize like the amount of work and effort and time and basically that's going to be your whole identity for a long time 
there are a lot of resources and so, so much more now, of course, with the internet, um, you know, as readily available as it is now. But I think one of the places that I would absolutely direct people of color is the Student National Medical Association. And that stems from the National Medical Association, which, which was an association developed for Black physicians to support Black physicians, to help them network, um, build community, provide them with resources, give them opportunities for career advancement, publication, presentations, conferences, all of that. And the Student National Medical Association is just the same. And then it also provides the support around um, for if you're a pre-med student. So if, if you're interested in becoming a medical student, how to apply to medical school, what are the um, getting ready for your MCAT, which is the standardized tests that you need to take, preparing your essays, getting your interviews ready, and then even preparing for residency application, getting into a residency program, supporting you throughout medical school and throughout residency. So the, the finances that are associated with it. I mean, there, there are so many levels and so many aspects. And I think the Student National Medical Association, which will be celebrating, I think, 60 years of, of its presence in, in our community is, is a wonderful resource for all individuals of color interested in pursuing a career in medicine as a physician. Dr. Terry, thank you so much for this. I, first of all, <clears throat> I, I want to just say that this conversation is, is probably going to be something that people get in a room with their kids or just people who they love who this topic really matters to and 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 if you have the time we'll continue the conversation about some things that that we haven't gotten to yet but if you had any based on everything you've heard today in this conversation what would you would like to leave our listeners with as a reflection I don't even know where to begin on that one. Okay, that's a big question. We're there. We we discussed we discussed so much. I'm I'm going to go back to where we started, and honoring your identity. Honor your identity. Know, knowing what, um, knowing what your identities are, and celebrating them and living them out loud authentically. That's what I hope people walk away from, or walk away with. Oh, I mean, that's, you can't, you can't follow up with that one at all. Like there's no follow-up period. Go back and rewind that a little bit and talk about like, yeah, being true to yourself, being true to your identities. Absolutely. I love that. Dr. Terry, thank you so much for joining our podcast and just like spreading your knowledge. I know we're going to get to a few of you and Cher are going to get to a few other questions and we'll post this as a, as a double special essentially, um, because there's so much, especially like we didn't get into the, the specifics on healthcare. And I think this is something that our listeners would definitely want to, um, to hear about. So thank you so much for being our guests and, um, yeah, look forward to, to for sharing this with our listeners. Follow us on more than words, podcast.com. 